Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The Bible says several places in the New Testament that you and I have been set free from the wrath that is to come. Two examples of that is Romans 5, 9 and 1 Thessalonians 1, 10 that both tell us that we have been set free from that wrath. This convinces me that you and I will not be in the tribulation, that we will be taken out of it before it comes upon this earth. There is much comfort and peace for the true believer when we talk about the last days and the wrath and the judgment of God. Why? Because we believe the church will not be here on this earth for those days of wrath called the tribulation. Today on Practical Christian Living, we're in Luke chapter 17 talking about what Jesus said about the rapture, what comes after, and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Here's the continuation of our teaching out of Luke 17, verses 20 through 37 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I'm sitting and was doing my studying one night and I had the news on in the background and they talked about Ethiopian Jews returning to Israel. They had a plane that had landed in Tel Aviv and they were watching as the Ethiopian Jews came out and kissed the ground and were so excited and I got my Bible because I remembered a passage that said, I will call my people back and it was giving a list of places and one of them was, I will call them back from Ethiopia. And I found it, I'm looking at my Bible and looking at the news. The news really is coming alive. The Bible is coming alive in the news even as we speak. And so God is going to deal with Israel again and they are going to be saved. What does Romans 9 tell us? That God will save them again. That even though they as a people group have rejected the Messiah, individuals are being saved, but as a people group rejected the Messiah, that the people of Israel will one day again, in essence as a whole, find Christ and receive Him as their Messiah. That will happen through the difficulties of this tribulation period. So he said that there are still seven years determined for Israel. Sixty-nine of them are passed with the, the, the death of the Messiah, but there's still seven years that has to deal with the nation of Israel and Jerusalem. These seven years are explained in detail in Revelation 5 through 18. And I made mention of the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bull judgments. It starts with three and a half years that are tribulation, and then three and a half years that are the great tribulation. And in the middle of the tribulation, there's the abomination of desolation that Jesus spoke of. Jesus said there is a time coming on this earth that is worse than anything that has ever happened and worse than anything that will ever happen. That is still in our future. We still have that time that is coming. That's that great tribulation, the tribulation and the great tribulation. It is called a time of Jacob's trouble. I talked about Israel gathering back together again and seven years that are determined for the nation of Israel. In Jeremiah 30, chapter 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is a time of Jacob's trouble. Do you remember when Jacob got a new name, what his name was? Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And this is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved out of it. Jeremiah and Paul in Romans chapter 9 agree they will be saved out of it. Jesus said at the end of everything, he will gather the saints together on the earth in Matthew 24, 31. He comes back for his church in this rapture, this mystery, 
And then he returns to the earth and he sends his angels out in Matthew 24, 31 to gather the saints that are all around the world, the four corners of the world, it says, and bring them back to him. Now, those who believe in a post-tribulation rapture believe that's the rapture of the church, but it's not. It's a gathering together of the tribulation saints. When you are, and I are taken out, there are people who are going to get saved. They're going to recognize what has happened. They're going to have watched the uh, Nicolas Cage movie Left Behind. At least some of them have. <laughs> and, and they're going to commit their lives to Christ. Plus, there will be Jewish people who, uh, as a nation, turn back to the Lord, and they will need to be gathered together again. This is the gathering of the tribulation saints who survive. The church is mentioned. Revelation 1 talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then chapters 2 and 3 talk about the church, the seven letters to the seven churches. And then chapter 4 talks about a gathering of all nations, of all people, of all times up in heaven. And they sing and they worship the Lamb that sits on the throne. And then chapters 5 through 18, the church is not mentioned. It's been mentioned in the two, chapters 2 and 3, but it's not mentioned again. Because in verse chapter four, a door is opened up in heaven and God said to the church of Philadelphia, I have set before you a door up in heaven. And God said to John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, come up here. He called to him out of that door, come up here. And we go up and we are in heaven and we are not here during those years. But it mentions saints. And so people say, but the church is still here because it mentions saints. But the saints that are mentioned are the Jewish people and the tribulation saints, the Gentiles who get saved after you and I are gone. And the Gentiles, excuse me, and the, the Jews that are saved. So, um, so Jesus said he's going to gather everybody together at the end of this time. And um, this tribulation period, this seven years that's described in Revelation 5 through 18, is called over and over again in the Old Testament a time of God's wrath, a time of God's indignation, a time of God's anger and a time of God's judgment. You and I have been freed from that. It, it says in Isaiah 13, 13, this is an example. You can go do the research yourself. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. The Bible says several places in the New Testament that you and I have been set free from the wrath that is to come. Two examples of that is Romans 5, 9 and 1 Thessalonians 1, 10 that both tell us that we have been set free from that wrath. This convinces me that you and I will not be in the tribulation, that we will be taken out of it before it comes upon this earth. It also reminds me that our job as the church is not just to live our Christ in front of our lives for Christ in front of people so they can see Jesus and want to turn to him, but so that you and I would remind the world that there is a judgment that's coming. It's one of the reasons the world doesn't like us because we talk about wrath, we talk about judgment. It's one of the reasons that churches today ignore the topic that pastors who want large churches and large followings, that they will not talk about the wrath of God. But we have a duty that we would let people know that there is a judgment on its way, that God is a judge. 
So, so now we come to the text. So we get this background. We know why there had to be a rapture of the church. We know that the rapture is clearly taught in the Bible. You know that I believe that we will be taken out before the tribulation. There are those that believe you will be taken out in the middle of the tribulation. In my opinion, there's not a very strong biblical stance for that. Uh, they kind of, it's, it's called the pre-wrath, that the second half is really the wrath of God. The first half isn't. But when you look at the things that happened in the first three and a half years, there's a lot of wrath there. I think it's the weakest of all of the stances. Then there's those who believe in a post-tribulation. At least they have Matthew 24, 31 that says that at the end of the age, you will gather those from the four corners of the earth, even though I think that's the gathering together of the tribulation saints. They believe that it's the rapture of the church. But there's two different, two different things happen. In the, the first part of the return, it's done secretly, a twinkling of an eye. The second part of his return, it's, it's like lightning that flashes from the east to the west. Everyone sees it and everyone knows it. Now we come to our text. And this is verse 20 of Luke chapter 17. Now, we went, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said. So the Pharisees came to him. Maybe they're beginning to realize that this is the Messiah. Jesus has talked about the kingdom of God. John the Baptist has talked about the kingdom of God. Their idea, we know, from rabbis that wrote in their day is that the kingdom of God was going to come. The Messiah was going to come and establish his kingdom right away, not to die for sins, but to establish a kingdom. So they ask him. And then he said, middle of verse 20, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So Jesus says, I'm going to establish the kingdom of God and it's, it's, it's among you now, but it's not a place. We don't go to the headquarters of the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is among us. <clears throat> you are saved and you become part of the kingdom of God and I am saved and I become part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said that we have been given the keys to the kingdom and the keys to the kingdom is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We let people know how to get into heaven and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Then he said to his disciples, the day will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. The day is going to come when you want to see me and do not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them. For as the lightning flashes out of one part of the heaven and shines to the other part under the heaven, so also will the Son of Man be in his day. The day when he returns, everyone is going to see it. But first, he must suffer many things. So he goes to the kingdom of God being established and everyone's going to see it. And then he comes all the way back to now and he talks to them about his suffering that he has to do. So he's going to talk to them between the, when he's, where he's at now and the coming of the Son of Man. And he says that he will suffer. First, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And here I believe that Jesus is giving us a picture of the rapture of the church, that Noah and those eight people entered into the ark, God shut the door, seven days went by, and then God lifted them up by flooding the earth. Before this, a mist came down and watered the ground, but the earth was flooded. But notice that the days before the coming of Jesus, are going to be like the days of Noah. A couple of things that are distinct about the days of Noah. They are days of violence. 
Remember, Genesis tells us violence covered the earth. And that God said, my spirit shall not always dwell with men. And he decided to save these eight people during those days. But they were marrying and they were giving in marriage. They were just living their lives. This is a clue to us that they will be violent days. We indeed live in violent days. I don't think any of us would argue that we don't. We live in violent days. But also, it's just going to, you know, it's just going along. People are marrying. They're giving in marriage. They're living their lives. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes back. This would not be the, his coming back because that would be seen by everybody. It would be the return for his church. He would take them up like those in the flood. He gives another example. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will be the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That is that Lot and his wife and his two daughters were taken out of Sodom before the fire and brimstone could fall because God was not going to destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. And this, again, is a picture of the rapture of the church. Just as Noah was taken into the ark, the ark was above the destruction, and the destruction came to the people below. So Lot is taken out of Sodom, and then the destruction takes place. And then in verse 31, it says, In that day, he who was on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who was in the field, let him not turn back. It's a time that things will change. And then he says this, remember Lot's wife. That once we have started on our way and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we would not turn around and look at our life in the past and the things that we lived for in the past. And then he says in verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed one will be taken and another will be left. Two men, two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and another left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and another left. And again, this is the idea of the rapture of the church. I realize that there is that arg this argument out there that this is the judgment and it's the people that are being judged that are taken away, but that does not fit with the rest of Scripture. Scripture tells us that God is coming back for His people and His people are going to be taken away and the rest are going to be left and judged. It says, And they answered and said to Him, Where, Lord? Now that just cracks me up. First of all, the Pharisees say, When, Lord? When is the kingdom of God coming? So Jesus explains it to them. And then they go, Where? Where is this going to happen? He just said, In fields, in beds, and you know, people sleeping, people working in the field. I love, I can hear Pastor Chuck teaching this passage. I hear his voice. He says, now this tells us that the rapture of the church is global. Some people are working in the field while other people are in bed. My best Pastor Chuck I can do right now. But that they say, where, Lord? It's like they just don't, under, they just don't, get, they don't know what to say. Where? Where's this going to happen? And he said to them, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. In the last days, there will be the battle of Armageddon and the blood will flow to the horse's mane. When men will battle to fight against each other and Jesus Christ will return and the whole world will see him and they will turn and fight against him and he will judge those men at that time. And he calls the birds of the air to come and eat a feast of the body of the dead. It's funny, while I was studying this this morning, 
I looked up and outside of my window, I'm pretty sure it was a hawk, but I looked up and outside of my window in a tree was a hawk. You know, you're just used to seeing little bitty birds out there, but here's this big hawk. I called my wife and we took some pictures of it, but I told her the passage that I was just reading. It was as if God said, check this out. Where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together and there will be this great slaughter in those days, which reminds us that even though you and I might be excited about being a part of the rapture of the church, that there are people who are left behind and that there is great destruction that will take place during those days. The Bible says that in the last days, mockers will arise who will mock his return, saying, we've waited all of these years, where is his coming? And then he says, well, to God, a day is like a thousand days and a thousand days is, is like a day. God doesn't go through time the way that we do, which might tell us a lot, by the way. We could take a lot away from that. But then he says this, but God desires that all men would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. The reason that God has waited as long as he's waited is because with this rapture, there's a destruction that comes within seven years. God desires that everyone would be saved. And God is so gracious, he just waits. Enoch was a prophet. Enoch was, I don't know what he was, seventh from Adam or whatever it was. And Enoch had a son by the name of Methuselah. Methuselah literally means when he dies, it will take place. You can go do the work in Genesis. You can go start with Adam, see how old Adam was when he had Seth, and then see how old Seth was when he had whoever Seth's son was and go on. You can do the work. And you find that the year that Methuselah died was the year of the flood. When he dies, it will take place. What is Methuselah known for? The longest man who ever lived. Lived the oldest of anybody. So that God takes a man that's going to, the, the, the end of their world as they know it is going to happen when he dies, and God makes him live longer than anyone. You and I might grow impatient. We might say, we've heard of the rapture of the church for so long. Come on. And, and people are. They're turning away from it. They're not believing it because it's taken so long. But God knows that in the end, it will be a great destruction of men. And God is compassionate. Let me give you three verses in closing. Number one, 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. This means that as you and I have the hope of the rapture, that there's a purifying factor of it. I'm not saying that you can't purify yourself without the teaching of the rapture. I'm not saying that if you don't believe in a rapture that you can't walk pure before the Lord. I'm simply saying the Bible says there's a purifying factor to this hope. That when he appears, we will appear with him. And there's something about that that makes me want to live my life better. I'm not saying that if you're post-trib, you don't want to live your life better. I'm just saying there's something about it. Luke 21, 34 through 36. And I quoted this earlier. The really part that I want to quote is in verse 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Not only is there a purifying factor, but we're to watch. Are you watching? Are you, are you waiting? Do you have your eyes on the sky in a sense? Are you looking for the return of Jesus? Do you remember that he said, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am you will be also.
Finally, in Matthew 24, 44, he says, therefore, you also be ready. Are you ready for his return? Are things right between you and God? Have you kept a short account between you and him? So that if things aren't right between you and him right now, make them right. And when you blow it, and we all do, the Bible says in 1 John that if, if you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. And I'll add, the truth ain't in you. But when we sin, we make things right with him so that we're ready for his return. Jesus said it, therefore be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect him. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as we've taken time to consider the rapture of the church today. And this passage where Jesus told us that there would be two men in a bed and one would be taken, two people in the field and one would be taken, two women working together and one would be taken. And that we would know that this will take place even though it might seem strange, it will happen. And so we surrender ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a few moments. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here in a moment, I promise. But if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you've never had your sins forgiven, one of the things that happens when you commit your life to Christ is that you are set free from the wrath that is to come. You will not face that once you have invited him in. God's got a plan, God's got a purpose, and God has got a call. There's a reason you were created and there's a reason you were created now in this time. And if you haven't discovered your creator, then you can today. The Bible says, call out on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Receive him and God will grant you repentance and you will see the fruit of repentance inside your life. Also, if you're here today and you began to walk with the Lord a while ago, but you drifted away, Maybe it wasn't what you expected. Maybe you just got distracted by the cares and the worries of this world or the desire for riches and you no longer follow him. You would be a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter and God would call you back home. If you would return to him today, remember when the prodigal son was walking down the road, the father ran to meet him, put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and said, my son who was dead is now home. He will receive you if you would come back to him today. You think, well, God didn't want to have anything to do with me. I walked away. On the contrary, Jesus says he's the good shepherd and he will leave the 99 and he will go looking for the one. He is searching for you. So if you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ for the very first time, or you're here today and you want to come back to the Lord, you served him, but you've walked away from him, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are right now, just raise your hand. Lift your hand up now, lift up high so I can see it. I want to take time to acknowledge your hand and pray for you. God bless you. Both of you up in the balcony there, sir here, and ma'am, God bless you. That's great. Right here too as well. God bless you. Sir, God bless you off to my right. That's great. Don't let this moment pass. Today is the day of salvation. If God's moving in your life, then respond to him by raising your hand. All right. You can put your hands down. And if by chance I didn't see your hand, God saw it, okay? And that's the one that really matters, all right? I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven. 
by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can follow you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.